0: Welcome to the Honest Postnatal Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Dow, a postnatal exercise specialist and a mum of two. This is a space where we talk about postnatal recovery and how it feels emotionally and physically. This can be a challenging time for any mum, but I'm here to give you hope whilst keeping it honest. So wherever you are, take a deep breath, settle in, let's get started. Hi, Leanne. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're a mum of two, a postnatal campaigner and a author of a book, an amazing book, called Your Postnatal Body. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you very much for having me.
0: I'm really excited because I remember speaking to you. I think it must be it was after Ethan's birth. So five years ago now.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, yeah, that seems so
0: long ago, doesn't it? It does, but it was definitely after Ethan's birth. I think you had posted something somewhere and I responded and I was trying to remember if it was something you were working on or... um, Yes,
1: yes. So you first came to me through um, one of our online communities, um, which was on Facebook, and then, when I was researching for the book, your experiences really resonated. Um, and then we had our first chat when I was um, yeah, when I was doing the research for your postnatal body.
0: That's right. Yes, yeah. so it was five years ago, and then we've kind of kept in touch. And I feel like you know my birth story really well, but I don't know your birth stories or your postnatal stories. And how you got into all of the work you do. So where should we start? Where would you like to start? Um, I guess
1: it starts with the kind of crash down to earth that I had after my first son. Um, And I often say that that experience really changed me um, in in ways I couldn't have imagined. In that it made me very political. It made me more of a feminist. Um, I was incredibly shocked by how the treatment of mothers changed once they'd had the baby, once you were no longer a vessel um, and you just became a side dish to the main event. Um, which is the baby and whilst you as a mother are of course concentrating solely on the baby who the hell is concentrating on you?
0: No one in the UK really isn't it is the answer unfortunately.
1: Yeah it was I mean it was just a, such a big shock. Um, I think I'd I'd heard a lot about birth um, and had kind of expectations around that but none around postpartum and it was a uh, it was kind of pre- or just in the start of, like, kind of the more open Instagram kind of phase, I wasn't even on Instagram, so I hadn't really got any frames of reference um, or places to go. I had um, not a difficult birth, but a long exhausting (laughs) birth, and was completely blindsided by just everything the whole matrescence my physical recovery I'd had a bad tear um I'd lost a lot of blood I was exhausted um and then I had hypervigilance because there'd been some concerns about the baby at the end of the pregnancy at the end of the birth um So I had all that to deal with and as a first-time mum and I was in a new area and it was just everything was like a cascade of uh, worry and um, apprehension and pain and I couldn't breastfeed and yeah it was a lot and I just thought where's my village, where's my help, Um, okay everyone's gone now.
0: I think it can it can really feel like that, can't it? Because I I know we've spoken about this before, but it is. And when you said the side dish, I love that because I always say it's like the woman's, like the sweet wrapper. So when you've got the baby, beautiful, like glossy sweet that's all wrapped up lovely and the mum gets kind of adored and all the appointments. And then the postnatal is like, right, the sweet wrapper has gone now. The baby's out, you know, and the baby's the sweet. So they're still getting looked after. But you've just been discarded on the floor somewhere. Um but I love that you call it a side dish I'm going to use that that's really good um but it sounds like you had that kind of cocktail of everything so potentially not the birth you you know you had expected you've had the tear you've had a bleed difficulty of breastfeeding and then exactly like where is the village um what do you think it was then about maybe being unprepared for the postnatal period was it like what was it that was so much of a shock for you
1: Um, I think it was partly how demanding the physical recovery is. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't had a straightforward birth, um, just how long it takes to recover. um, There there was no narrative around that at the time, and it's still pretty bad now. Um, I had no idea how difficult breastfeeding could be um, and had no idea that the trauma, exhaustion and blood loss could have contributed to my difficulties with breastfeeding. And that became a real, fixa- real fixation for me, um, as it does for a lot of mothers. Um, and yeah, I just, I just think everything had been pinned on the day of the birth and, or days, <laughs> and nothing had um, been put in place I mean, it was the classic, let's concentrate on getting the nursery ready, which we didn't even bloody use for months. It was that thing of concentrating on having stuff for the baby. Even my, you know, my bag that I packed didn't really have anything for me. It had um, all the stuff for this new baby, which was all too big because he he came early anyway. But, um, yeah, I just felt like it was I do believe it's better now in terms of mothers beginning to think about themselves. Yeah. Um, but at the time, this was eight years ago, there was there was nothing really. And even having sisters and a mum who'd had, you know, a lot of children, it it just nobody had said to me, How are you gonna recover? Have Mm -hmm. you thought about your recovery? What do you need? What do you need to put in place? So it was like landing or being, you know, thrown out of a plane and you know landing in a foreign territory without a map and without any of your stuff it
0: was really hard so just feeling kind of completely lost and overwhelmed and not knowing where to turn I suppose for information as well probably
1: yeah because I wasn't so into social media at that point and it hadn't really taken off in the postpartum spaces the way as much as it has done now I had a couple of books um but that was it yeah
0: I'm guessing as well those books, like if I'm thinking back even to five years ago, it, those books were so like fixated on the pregnancy and the postnatal like sections normally like at the very end. And it's like a tiny bit. I think. They were,
1: I had, um, I think it was called like the first weeks with your baby or something. It was all about baby and child development, which I absolutely devoured because I was so interested. Because the most interesting thing to you is your baby and and how it's developing but the one book I did also order for myself, or somebody may have got it for me, was, um, was a book, oh my goodness, I'm not going to remember the name correctly, but it's something like Things I'd Wish I'd Known. And it was put together by the founder of Mumsnet. And it had all these authors talking about um, different parts of motherhood. It. it wasn't just postpartum, but I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. You kind of have to think about yourself as a mother now and your new identity and what that means. And that, possibly was the start of me recognising that I had to figure this all out, this new role and not, well, I say not just prioritise my baby, but I absolutely did. Um, I was fixated, but I think I had that kind of slow dawning that, okay, I need to start creating some space for my recovery and my transition into motherhood.
0: But it's really hard, isn't it? Because if you're not Prepared and no one talks to you about it, you do just fixate on the baby because that has been the build up. And the build up is you being pregnant, the day of the birth, or yes, the days, (laughs) you don't depend on it. Um, And those first few weeks of, yeah, you know, how do I breastfeed? How do I do this? But I think there again, there it is better now, but it's still not amazing. And I think most mums are still fixated on the birth and the baby. Um, so it's very difficult to prepare for that change, isn't it? And I think partly as well, you know, it, it it becomes so hard to prepare for for becoming a mother, and and you kind of can't explain it to anyone, can you? You know how how it feels and and everything that goes on. So it's it is a difficult time to navigate. I,
1: I definitely agree that you can't um, explain it to somebody, but I think we can try a bit harder. There's all this stuff about scaring the horses and, you know, spooking new mums and, and whatnot. But I think gently um, introducing ideas around postnatal recovery and matrescence, um are so critical, so that it plants that seed with mums that maybe. They do need to have a plan in place for themselves postpartum.
0: Oh, completely. I mean, I 100% agree with you. And I think on one of the other podcasts I was talking about, you know, postnatal planning, um, which I just think would be wonderful if more women did and more women were encouraged to do. Because, again, you have the birth plan, but wouldn't it be wonderful if there was more of a a postnatal plan and, sharing it with your family and your friends you know so that you have that help and and support and I think that's probably what I love about your book as well as is all of the experiences that you've put in there so you've got lots of different women's experiences so that you can read about different postpartum and postnatal kind of um I wanted to say options that's not the right word um you know how it can turn out so you're kind of opening in people's eyes to like oh it could be this option or it could you know this could happen so trying to prepare them for what they might be navigating. Absolutely
1: and I think actually the postpartum plan um, part of my book is the most important bit of it um, really and I'd be really happy if people just ripped that out and stuck it on the fridge so that everyone could see that there's going to be all these things that are necessary after the birth to help support the new mother um so yeah I would absolutely agree postpartum planning is critical really
0: and how so how did you write your book how did you start campaigning so I know you're an author and charity consultant so with the first birth was that then what kind of segued you you know to becoming more political so can you talk to us a little bit about that
1: yeah, so it was, a, it was um, a bit of a journey, really. So I started, I I did become more political after the birth of my first son, absolutely. And I did hold a round table in Parliament um, and gathered together health professionals um, across lots of different uh, disciplines and journalists and campaigners, mothers with lived experience. Um, and just kind of thrashed out how we could try and start changing things and and some um some ministers actually asked for the papers from the meeting as well as the MPs that was there that were there. so that was really kind of felt like some momentum. then unfortunately i I um experienced recurrent miscarriage and I had to step back from the postnatal care campaigning for obvious reasons um but when I fell pregnant with my Now my second son, I um, had the idea for the book because at the time there was nothing really about your postnatal body at all on the market, and I just thought, well, the services are going to take a long time. It's pretty slow. Campaigning's pretty slow, Um, so I'll get a book out there that that mothers can use, um, and that you know people in the community, midwives and whatnot can use, Um, and that's sort of like a stopgap whilst we're waiting for services. catch
0: up. And what has been your experience with going down the political route and talking to ministers and finding out what's happening you know with the NHS and aftercare kind of where do you think we are at the moment in the UK?
1: Well from my experience um, and I can only speak for myself it was easier back in 2018 than it is now. It's easier to get into speak with people um policy and whatnot um and the people i spoke to were incredibly receptive like i said i was asked for the papers from the meeting um which included a lot of women's own stories um which were really hard-hitting and hard to read um and it felt like there was quite a lot of momentum there and then post pandemic It's much harder. I'm still waiting a year on from 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 requesting uh, to to meet back with some of the people that I met with in 2018, and it's just hard. I know there's an election coming up, so focus has been pulled, um, and the NHS is under incredible strain. We've gone backwards rather than forwards in maternity. Um, as you know, there are there are some progresses and people like um the ladies from the Five Times More campaign about Black Maternal Health, they have been doing fantastic work and really pushing in that area, but they've had to push and push and push. Um, and I think that things like um miscarriage care is is getting a focus which obviously personally uh, I think is absolutely fantastic postpartum care is really bringing up the rear again um yeah. and I think you know I wish I had more time to to bang on those doors and I'm trying but it, it's harder now than it was back then
0: gosh that's really interesting to hear but thank you because you've already done an incredible amount and I think when you were just talking about you very casually were like oh and I brought a group of people together in parliament you know and I think that's an absolutely huge achievement that you mentioned it very casually Um, I'm sure that can't have been easy whatsoever to do so I think you've already done tons and you know your book is amazing as well um so maybe let's dive a little bit deeper into the book and could you you know if someone's just picking it up for the first time or they're thinking of ordering it off you know Amazon or any other independent bookshop what you know what are they going to expect to pick up um it's
1: a bit of a hand-holding um, kind of exercise. That's what I wanted. Um, for, it's, it's primarily for first-time mums, but I think second-time mums um, have also found it useful. But it's just kind of talking you through what the different stages are like predominantly in the first year but beyond because once postpartum always postpartum and your body changes forever and i don't think we should sugarcate that um and it's it's mostly about how to gain optimal health for the long term so this the acute phase at the very beginning first 24 hours first few weeks where everything you know the changes are massive <laughs> you are you're dealing with blood and leaking this that and the other um, uh, for weeks and it's kind of trying to talk you through what you might need in advance of that so you get prepared for it or if you're in it what you can do to help yourself and then as you're going through the different stages and your body starts adapting or, or moving back into the positions that it was in before um i'm talking sort of about you know your all your internal organs unsquishing and your posture changing and all that kind of stuff um but some of these things are really long term as you know and take a lot longer to sort out and it's about Like at what stage can you actually do that? Because at the six to eight week check, you can do certain things and you can go with prompts to your GP, which I've put in the book um, to move things forward. But sometimes you're not ready to talk about things until six months, nine months, 12 months afterwards, which is uh, just to go briefly back to campaigning, which is why Rosie Taylor of Mother Bodies and I are campaigning for an additional maternal check within the first year, because it's not necessarily in the first acute phase that you can Well, that you understand exactly what all the changes are and what needs addressing, but also whether you have that mental capacity um, to actually get yourself down to the GP and talk about these things. So it might be later on that you that you do that. Um, And yeah, the book is hopeful, I hope. And it also um, contains stories of women's journeys and what they've overcome and their hopeful journeys. Yours, Natalie, is a fantastic one. That's part of it. Um, and there's some really kind of significant problems that some of these womens have, some of the women in the book have spoken about and been able to overcome. And I think that is probably my most favorite chapter actually, speaking to women about what they have done to uh, regain their their bodies and their and their well-being
0: it's It's my favorite chapter as well, not just because I'm in it because um <laughs> haven't actually told you this but I bought the book a long time ago but I actually couldn't physically open it and read the chapter and read my own story even though I talk about my own story so much there was something about seeing it in print that I found very mm. to to read back you know and kind of to hold a physical book in my hand um mm. reading the other women's stories I loved because I remember reading all of the, the pregnancy books about women's different experiences of, of birth but, you know, to read people's postnatal stories, I found so comforting. And yes, you've put a lot of stories in there that are women overcoming, you know, incredibly difficult experiences. But I think you really have left a message of hope as well, you know, and kind of things can get better. Um, I just wanted to circle back around to the check that you were talking about that you'd done with Rosie Taylor. Is that the mm-hmm. gen- so this was the trying to campaign to get a nine-month check with the NHS. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, well, we're not putting a month on it exactly. There is a sort of pilot happening already, which I can't talk very much about, but um, – It's between six and 12 months, we think, will be the sweet spot. We don't know exactly what point that would be, but it's just something that Rosie and I and a hell of a lot of other people, if you speak to them, think is incredibly important. Um, And one of those people is a close friend of mine, Claire, who set up um, the maternal pituitary support group because she had a diagnosis of something that was caused by birth months and months and months afterwards that just would not have been picked up earlier with the way that the NHS frameworks are at the moment so I think it's really critical to be catching women in between that very kind of acute phase at the beginning um, and later on as you know things go back or do not go back to normal.
0: Yeah I think I think it's a fantastic idea and I think Again, that six to eight week check, it is so much of it is about the baby, which is you know completely fair, but it would be great if it was evenly split. But I think you're right that it, even, everything is still changing at that six weeks, isn't it? Like your hormones are still changing, your body's still changing. So it's very difficult to know at that six week check what is going to be potentially like a longer term thing so i think to come back around at whenever it is six or nine months would be incredible um so i'm really hoping that you you and rosina you get that you get that through and it does eventually if you're saying there's a pilot fingers crossed so um i think that could be such an incredible thing for for postnatal care in the uk
1: I think so. And I think, you know, my personal bugbear is this thing about um, when you have uh, problems in pregnancy, such as gestational diabetes um, and hypertension in pregnancy and they're red flags for your future health. And I'm talking about optimal long term health. And obviously, these probably won't be discussed in a really quick six to eight week check when you've got your baby with you. Um, And it probably should be more stuff to do with your your healing of your scars and and, and how you're breaths and your, and your mental health and all of that but later on you need to be thinking about lifestyle factors and how they affect these things that can affect you for the rest of your life as well as the hormonal changes and thyroid issues um, so it, it is a personal bugbear of mind that those things that could be quite easily addressed and pelvic floor dysfunction actually um they need to be addressed at this point and i think um it's common sense and it will save the nhs money long term um so yeah rosie and i are really time-strapped but
0: we're trying we are trying so if anyone's listening let's just put that out there that has you know resources time maybe connections that could help you we'll you know ask them to to contact you at the end to see if we can really get that going but i think coming back to the um yeah saving the NHS money I feel like that with the pelvic floor you know if women could see a women's health physio before birth just for one assessment you know I think that could make such a massive impact on pelvic floor injuries and reducing the money that the NHS is actually then spending on trying to help women you know with pelvic floor injuries I feel like if we put the preparation work in there wouldn't be so much cost going out on the outcome afterwards but that is so true. And
1: and that is one of the things that came out of the roundtable discussion we had in Parliament. And pelvic floor patrol were also campaigning at the same time with the um, chief medical officer. And actually, in the 10-year NHS plan, it says that um, all postpartum women should be offered this referral pathway to a women's health physio. Um, so that should have happened. But we know in practice that it doesn't, um, that it just doesn't. And that's a, such a shame because you you've got it right I mean it would just save so much money long term and it seems commonsensical but I also think one of the problems is there aren't enough women health, women's health physios at the moment although PAGP I think um, you know that's something that they're trying to address um, but it's yeah it is something that's critical and so easy to do in so many instances, um, women can can be helped by women's health physios if they're suffering with incontinence issues. So it's it's again, it's quite frustrating.
0: Really frustrating, and I think as well because it has such an impact on mental health as well. So if we could help women with pelvic floor issues, then they would also, you know, that would reduce the cost on mental health, you know, spending later in you know later down the line as well because it it can have such an impact, can't it? So yeah but it does yeah I know it seems like a simple thing but unfortunately it seems like it's not that simple to get it um on the NHS and I've been quite surprised now in my third pregnancy just going to my antenatal appointments with the midwife that there's also no mention of pelvic floor in your midwife appointments so I you know and again I think that's like a really simple thing they could just be one question they could be asking you but they're not but I mean I think there's there's so many things that could be added to, you know, prenatal and postnatal care that would make it a much better a much better thing in the UK. But at the moment I feel like it's yeah, it's a little bit of an upward, upward hill battle, isn't it, to try and improve it all.
1: Yeah, I'm gutted to hear that actually, that it's not been mentioned in antenatal. That's that's just such again, such a simple thing that's that could help so many people. So that's really disappointing.
0: It is quite disappointing. I'll put that on my list to tackle that one. I'll take it off your workload. <laughs> I'll leave that aside for you. Um, And let's maybe go back to, if you're okay, your second postnatal experience. So was that Ooh. from the first and do you feel like you'd built up a lot of knowledge within that, you know, within that time frame from having your first to your second son? How did it differ?
1: Oh, it could have been so brilliant. <laughs> could have been so brilliant because i i was really prepared um but uh yeah i lockdown happened two weeks after my uh my second son came along um (laughs) however i had i had got a lot of information i'd um been advised to have a planned c-section it all went very smooth the c-section itself was fantastic um The postpartum experience in hospital, again, was not great at all. It was really bad. But um, once I got home, I'd planned to have a uh, a sort of a doula figure. Um, I say sort of because she wasn't actually a trained doula. She was just somebody I knew very well and um, felt very comfortable with. And she was going to help me with my older son and meals and chores and all of the stuff that you absolutely need. Um, and then lockdown happened, and uh, the midwives disappeared, the health visitors disappeared, my network disappeared, my um, doula disappeared, uh, as of course everyone had to. And um, I was on my own with my oldest son at home, recovering from a C-section, with my baby.
0: What makes me want to cry? I feel... should. So oh, like... sorry,
1: you're pregnant. I probably should. Have...
0: No, no, not at all, not at all. No, I mean, it makes me want to cry for you because, and all the women that, you know, I had Sebastian during the COVID lockdown as well. But somehow I found it, I didn't find it too difficult. Um, but I just think, you know, thinking back to that time, and I feel like it was one of, you know, whatever your thoughts are on COVID, it kind of was one of the things that I think needed to be ring fenced that you know pregnant women and postnatal women did need that extra support during covid Mm -hmm. so it just makes me really upset that you especially that you'd planned that you'd done all the prep I think that's wonderful that you'd really changed it from the first time so you knew exactly what you needed you knew what was going to help you you'd put it all into place and then you couldn't access it so I mean how did that affect you mentally like not being able to access then your village and your help
1: um, so it was a kind of t- two sides of a coin, as a lot of people, as I've heard from a lot of people. So the, the difficult side was, yeah, total isolation, a very difficult kind of physical recovery from C-section, although probably not as difficult as had it been an emergency C-section. Um, so that was hard. And also having to deal with an older child um, at home all the time, um, that was really hard. Um, but I also felt that there was a bit of relief in that I didn't have to do anything um, with regards to visitors, I didn't have to pretend that I could get myself dressed for a few weeks and the house was just a state and it didn't matter, Um, I did bed in um, because my husband had paternity leave for the first two weeks. So I did bed in and didn't do anything. Um, And that was really helpful, actually. And that kind of clarified for me how we do have to give people space and also really lower our expectations of new mums and what they should look like and be behaving like if you go around. If they can't get out of bed, then that is fine. Like, I just think there's... My friends, you know, recently have had babies Oh, don't come out um, because, you know, I, I I can't get out of bed or, and, you know, I can't look after you in any way. And I'm thinking, no, 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 we've got this all wrong. We should be, you know, going into their bedroom. If, if it stinks with postnatal stink, it stinks. Like, come on. Like, we've just got to let ourselves go for that very short period of time, which in reality it really is um and and also equally leave them be if they're really like no i need to my space right now that's totally fine leave your food on the doorstep ring the doorbell don't ring the doorbell send a text didn't want to wait the baby didn't want to wait you here's your pie you know crack on and and leave them to it and i think that's also fine as long as they know you're there yeah um so that was that clarified that for me um but it was fucking hard
0: (laughs) (laughs) Am <laughs> I allowed to swear? Yeah, 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 I've already well, we we're already like talking about vaginas and everything and prolaps. i to make the whole podcast explicit. So as far as <laughs> swearing is is completely fine because I've I've marked it. So hopefully we won't get the um podcast taken off the air. Um, <laughs> I I completely agree. I also found it I found it quite a relief to have Sebastian in COVID because of that like not having to have anyone round, not having to go out um I remember just laying on the sofa looking out the window just thinking god this is wonderful you know like Mm. having to do anything um we did have to go back into NICU with him which was very hard with Covid rules and having another child and you know any of that help Mm. but I completely agree with the whole postnatal thing and it's something that still I find very difficult nowadays with um you know, friends that are having babies is trying to gently encourage them to stay indoors, to look after themselves, to, you know, to not take a shower if that's what they need, to take the bed rest, you know, because I think there is so much expectation to get out, get dressed, get to a mum and baby class, you know, have your makeup on, have your baby in the nice pram. I think there's so much expectation. I think if we could go towards those cultures where the woman is looked at, you know looked after at home and um what's the word you know treated like like a gift almost you know or it's that kind of that proper nurturing that they do so
1: well in other cultures the bedding in the confinement the the bathing and waiting on the mother um Mm -hmm. I think is something we have sadly lost um And it's sort of looked down upon in our culture, which is incredible. It's referred to as princessy, according to Sundas Khalid, who's a South Asian midwife that I spoke with. Yeah, Um, yeah, really disappointing because it could, those formative weeks and, and setting families on the right path are the beginning of the early years that we talk so passionately about. And we're forgetting one critical thing. We're not looking after We're not mothering the mother at the time that she needs it most. And um, I think we really need to look at ourselves as a society and say, when did this happen and why did it happen? And we need to roll this back and we need to make changes. And that's more of a societal cultural shift than a systemic one.
0: Mm. And that will take time, Rona. I mean, that will take time and work and effort.
1: Yeah, it's just people like you, like me, um, like people in the media just banging that drum uh, constantly and reiterating the same messages over and over again.
0: Yeah. And I think it was, um, I think it was Laura Anderson from, oh God, what's it, Love Island, who just had a baby recently and she was out, you know, at some award event. And the headline was like, doesn't she look incredible? You know, still the baby way after having a baby. And it was like yes, she can look incredible. But, you know, again, we've got this emphasis on baby weight getting back out really quickly, you know, and Mm. it's like hiding the fact that you had a child, isn't it? It's like it's wonderful to be pregnant in the media. But then as soon as we've got to hide all the evidence that, you know, somehow we got a human out of your body. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like
1: it's it's something that has to be shrouded in in secrecy and you've got to get back to the thing you were before, which is a, essentially a sexual being yeah. um, straight away. And, and no reverence for a postnatal body, for that softness, for that having been a home. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, I probably would look at those pictures myself because of the way I've been conditioned and go, wow, doesn't she look incredible? Instead of, Oh, um, I hope she's feeling OK. And, you know, I hope that she's looking after herself and or rather people are looking after her. Yeah. Um. And wow, she's you know, she's managed to get through pregnancy and I think she had a tough time. I haven't read a lot about it, but I think she had quite a tough time of it. Mm-hmm. um but there's none of that it's just like does she look fuckable still sorry I keep swearing sorry Natalie and um, and it's just like oh my god like we've got to get away from this and, and kind of have a little bit more respect for a mother's body
0: yes respect for a mother's body and I love the way you just called it like a home like have you been a home because that's such a wonderful thing because you literally have homed like another human in your body so obviously your body's going to change and you're going to look different and you're going to feel different you know it's like you've been two and then you're back to being one again you know and it's yeah it's such a big change isn't it um yeah so what do you think actually maybe what do you think that people can do that are listening you know if they feel up to it like what can people do maybe campaign work-wise or you know what can people be out there doing trying to to change the narrative
1: um well I think it it probably mostly starts in your local groups, okay. families and communities. Um, so what is there, what provision is there? What can you do to help new mums? Have a look around what's already offered. What could you add to? There's often initiatives like, um, you know, organisations that provide meals to uh, older and lonely people. Could you ask them whether they could have postpartum mothers, especially if they're single mothers, into that equation? things like that so grassroots stuff is really really important you could set up a meal train you can really really easily do that online for somebody you know who's had a baby or having a tough time postpartum maybe their baby's in nikki and that's super important to be getting food to to those parents and then it's like looking out for um, what is happening already so that you can add your name to petitions um Uh, What are the APPGs doing? There's an APPG in Parliament on birth trauma at the moment. They've got um, stuff happening or you know that's quite new. So kind of getting involved with Theo Clark um, or sorry, getting in touch with Theo Clark and Rosie Duffield to talk about your own birth trauma experience. It all adds to the case studies. Getting in touch with Rosie Taylor on Mother Bodies and myself at the postnatal health community on Instagram telling us about your postnatal experiences because that body of evidence is what helps push um things through. So so getting stories um and statistics. So if we're doing call outs, looking for statistics and, um, and feedback on our Instagrams, that's helpful, looking at the five times more campaign um, and the motherhood group and what they're doing. It, I think it's definitely worth looking at what people are already doing and seeing if you can add to it. Can you add your story? Can you get flyers out? Can you? And again, what can you do locally? And if it's something really small, like providing one meal to one woman, that is enough because we're all so busy Um, and under the cosh you know uh, these are predominantly going to be mothers listening to this and I feel you it's so hard when you're pulled in every direction Um, so just the simple things they do make a difference.
0: I I totally agree and I think that's really a lovely concept even if you just start with one thing and it's just one one meal for a new mum I mean that it's a game changer isn't it? actually if someone brings you a hot meal I think that's just wonderful but I think all of the work you've you've spoken about and i think a lot of it's happening on instagram or a lot of it you can find on instagram um i know you mentioned theo clark the mp and i know she's doing the i think it's october the 19th isn't it actually we'll make sure the podcast is out before that for the birth trauma yeah uh, parliaments so there's that going on and i think there's a few charities that are trying to do some work around that as well and know, kind of Masex doing amazing work so And make
1: birth better as well, which I'm a champion for. So I should definitely mention that one. They're doing a lot of good work too.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot out there, isn't there? And I think you're right. If you can, if we can kind of help the things that have already started, it's kind of. I feel like it builds a bit quicker than potentially starting your own thing. Um, Yeah. I think adding on to that, and then sharing your story, if you feel like you're capable you know and if it's okay for you kind of mentally and emotionally then sharing your own postnatal story mm-hmm. i think it'd be really healing for for other women to hear these different experiences
1: absolutely i couldn't agree more i think we are lifting that veil of silence and secrecy around postpartum recovery and i think that sometimes you will never know how much that is impacting somebody um but it is it always is
0: yeah I feel like we should wrap it up there then. Have you got any words for a mum that's going through like a difficult, if she's listened to this, you know, she's in the park, she's had a really bad birth, she's walking her baby around and she's in those first few like postnatal weeks. Have you got any words of advice?
1: yeah i, I i'll try and keep it brief but it's like accept and ask for the help that you need it is so hard i do understand that we're all conditioned to be these independent women who could do it all on our own but none of us can and that having a friend reach out and ask you if you want help say yeah come and come and sit with my baby for an hour so i can do a nap if not a nap just a break you know go for a walk do a yoga nidra, which is like a meditation but much easier. Um, and, um just those little things and don't feel selfish about prioritizing yourself and your recovery, because you being able to recover and thrive means that your baby can
0: too. That's such a good point. I think, yeah, to say so looking after the mother then also looks after the child, isn't it? Because I think one of my favourite phrases is if you don't look after the mother, then who's gonna look after the child? Yeah, I 100% agree. Wonderful. Well, I just want to thank you again, Aileen, for coming on here, but also just for all of the work you've done. I know you've mentioned your book, but just again, if you can just signpost people where they can find you and where they can get in touch for me.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, you can find my book, Your Postnatal Body, um, on Pinter and Martin's website and on Amazon and other websites. Uh, you can find me on social media, mostly Instagram, at ThatLean or at Postnatal Health Community.
0: Wonderful. Thank you again so much. Lovely to speak to you.
1: Oh, thank you, Natalie. It's been a pleasure.
0: If you've enjoyed listening to the Honest Postnatal Podcast today, please leave a review and hit the subscribe button. This way we can reach more women with Honest Postnatal stories. And if you'd like to message me, you can find me on Instagram at honestyogaldn.